Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Cindy Chavez here. Today is Wednesday, September the 26th, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, your second daily dose of happy for the day, and uh, we hope your day is going splendidly. It's been very busy around here, and I know, Cindy, it's been busy at your end, so lots of stuff going on. Uh, the thing I, I'm constantly trying to remind myself to do throughout the day is get into alignment, Get into alignment, get into alignment as I'm dealing with all this stuff that comes along. And I don't always remember to do it, but I'm getting better at it. I can tell you that. Just doing these shows and and telling other people, get into alignment, get into alignment. (laughs) You kind of have to do it yourself after a while, you know, just like, oh, yeah, right. I'm the one who's teaching this stuff. I should be doing it, right? So, you know, it helps. It gives you like a little extra motivation. (laughs) Anyway, that's what I'm finding. Well, uh, I think that's right. And, and, you know, like, like you said, when you're saying it all the time. It, it it comes back to you, you yes. know. Yeah. And if it doesn't come back just because you're remembering, somebody close to you will bounce it back at you, right? Oh, no kidding, <laughs> no kidding. Oh yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, in ways, and usually, well, not, not usually. Often, it's from people who have no idea how the law of attraction works, which is oh, really that's cool. Funny. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. when, when that stuff pops up, it's like a little bell goes off. <laughs> Oops. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, it's really true. I, I think that something that we've talked about before is one of those really simple things to remember. And yet, you know, but breathing, right? Right. Like you were talking this morning about taking three deep breaths and then asking, you know, your higher self a question. And I'm thinking that recognition that when we're stressed out, we hold our breath because stress is actually a symptom of shallow breathing. Right. So I think that the deep breath, is so important as part of our alignment practice. It is very much. And in fact, um, what Wendy was um, reinforcing to me when she was explaining that to me is don't just make a deep breath, make a deep breath with an intention to relax with each one. And, right. And I think that intention is really important because you, you, you could take three deep breaths and think, I really don't like the situation go- that's going on. <laughs> and it's not going to help you a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, that's you'll have had hyperventilating. That's though. right. <laughs> Yes, it often is, isn't it? <laughs> Whereas when we go at it from the point of view of, oh, that feels so much better. Now we're in relaxation mode. Now, now we're actually getting that benefit out of it. So yeah, you have to, you actually have to breathe the right way. I never thought that I have to teach myself, train myself to breathe the right way, but apparently I do. Oh, well, you know, there's that idea that when we're born and I don't know if they still do it, but you know the, how they would like smack you when you were born oh, like, yeah, to get the, you to get the start breathing, breathing. Yeah. and the idea that, that whatever they do to, to like they really need to get you to start breathing like believe me you will breathe on your own <laughs> yeah. but that little smack causes us to right and we we inhale very sharply and quickly and I have heard people say and I don't know if this is true but that that sets our breathing pattern sort of for life. And so oh, we need to we train ourselves out of it by, like you said, teaching yourself to breathe deeply, reminding yourself to breathe and relax. When I do guided meditations, I always start at the top of the head and kind of lead the meditate, lead the person downward. Mm-hmm. And I always stop and make sure at least for two things that they relax their jaw. Yes. And their shoulders, because mm-hmm. our jaw and our shoulders, our neck and shoulders, those two places, we really hold a lot of tension. So it's just like focusing on those and just letting it, letting those areas relax really helps a lot. It's funny, too, while you were describing what you do in the meditations, 
all of a sudden I found myself breathing more relaxed. I mean, you weren't actually leading us in a, in a meditation or anything. You were just saying what you do. And all of a sudden I started breathing more. Yeah. I should do that sometime. We should do a, a guided meditation live. <laughs> yeah. Hey, why not? We could do that. Sure. That'd be great. Yeah. Let's it's, do you know, that. It's really true. The more I think about it, when we get sort of wound up about something, which is usually the way we feel when we're not aligned and we're concerned or worried about something or, you know, frustrated with something. I, I think that's a good term. It kind of, in, in my mind, it's a good picture, you know, being all wound up. Definitely we're not relaxed. So right. relaxation is a big key to that alignment first. And I have been practicing what Wendy taught me to do. And I have, I've been getting input. I've been getting messages from inside. Some messages I'm not quite ready to share on the air yet, but cool. I mean, I, I'm glad I'm actually getting some results that way. Not every time, but a lot more often than I was before. So Wendy, if you're listening in, thank you. Thank you for sharing yeah. that with me. It's really working. You know that story, there's a story about um, a, a person that's in a big, big metropolis, New York City, you know, in the middle of Manhattan or somewhere, and they're with a, they're walking with a, a, a Native American guide kind of person, and the person says, oh, do you hear that cricket? <laughs> and the guy says, are you kidding me? Like, there's buses flying by, I can hear the subway <laughs> rumbling underneath us, there's people everywhere, people are shouting, taxis are honking, and you're asking me if I hear a cricket? <laughs> and he says, well, you have to be listening for it. This is true. And I think about that with what you just said, you know, asking our higher self, our, our higher, wiser self, our inner self for wisdom, and we have to be listening for it. We have and, to know how to listen for it. That, that's been my problem. I mean, it's not like I'd never tried to listen before. It's just that even when I would try, I couldn't hear anything. It's like my ears were stopped up or something. But, uh, I mean, it wasn't actually hearing, but the point is I wasn't getting messages. And it's because I really wasn't in the, the right vibration to use Abraham terms to get them. Yeah. Getting the, there is the another relaxation. thing. Yeah. The relaxation is the big key. Yeah. I think it's intention too, right? Like when you, oh, yeah. when you make that effort to relax and you're doing it with the intention that I'm breathing deep because I'm going to relax because I'm forgot a question because <laughs> I'm going to hear the answer. All of that intention works together. It certainly does. By the way, before we, we're going to be talking more about uh, Neville Goddard's book, Awakened Imagination. Uh, we're going to be on chapter three, but before we get into it, I want to uh, continue with the new pattern I've started of putting our promos first. So first of all, if you're not yet a subscriber to the podcast, please become one. I, I think I've done this enough times that people know what to do, but in case you don't know, just go to the homepage of our website at LOAToday.net and you'll find all the instructions there. Um, the, the simple answer on your own device, just go through your podcast software and do a search and you'll find it. And if you don't have podcast software, like on your Android device, device, go to the Play Store and download Google Podcasts and you got a great podcast software. Um, so there's the first message. The second message is almost actually the more important one now because it's really paying off for us reaching more and more people so that more and more people can get their daily dose of happy. But what we've been doing now for the last couple months really is asking our listeners to put out on their favorite social media channels that they're listening to LOAToday.net and that, you know, say something about what we're talking about or whatever, uh, say something that's meaningful to you. But just the act of saying that, and a lot of people have been doing it, is really paying off. More and more people are finding us. So thank you to those of you who have been doing it. Please keep doing it. And if you haven't done it yet, please join us. I mean, it's really, the more that we do it, the better. That That's like, it kind of increases the, the, the vibration and multiplies it. Uh, when you have more and more people doing the same thing, right, right, uh, Cindy? It, it's like there's a, a multiplication effect that goes on. Right. 
Right. And, and that's, you know, that's what we do is our energy that we have, our vibration, if you will, uh, it affects people around us. And what we, I remember one of my earliest mentors, um, told me, you know, if you want to experience a certain vibration, hang around other people that are living with that experience, read books that talk about that experience, you know, so it's like all, we're all connected. We certainly so, are. Right. So when we, when we have more people that are making the intention to take in information to help their lives be better, it, it works to help all of our lives be better. And, and I have, I, I'm good at math. I have a mathematical orientation. So I like <laughs> the idea of, you know, a geometric increase or a multiplying effect. Cause I, that sounds really big to me. So I like that. <laughs> Exponential. Exponential. Oh, Ooh, I like right. that one. Yeah. That's one of my favorite ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we started a couple of days ago looking at one of my favorite, um, law of attraction authors, Neville Goddard. And he, speaks in a very old fashioned sort of way. His no writing <laughs> coming in the fifties, the forties, fifties, sixties. Um, and he often uses a lot of terms that are very familiar to anyone who's read the new Testament, mm-hmm. but his definition of those terms is completely different than very. anything I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we've said before, it's kind of like my little disclaimer is you know, you may be thoroughly thrilled to hear New Testament passages and you may be completely turned off or somewhere else along that spectrum, depending on your own experience and your own beliefs uh, and your own religious practice or whatever. Um, and you may be thoroughly thrilled about it until you realize that his definition of those passages is nothing like your own. <laughs> and certainly not anything like your pastor's been talking about. Right. But the thing is with Neville is... Honestly, I could take most of those passages out and it wouldn't affect how I read his work because his main messages, the first one, which we've discussed at length the last couple of days, which are assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled and thinking from the end instead of of the end. Which we discussed in the last podcast. It's a subtle difference, but when you look at it up close, it's actually a pretty big difference. Yeah, and I think we're going to see more of that today. And it's just um, those two things. Well, I will say those two things really changed my life and the way I practice the law of attraction, which really? is why I, which is why I wanted to bring it to uh, to the podcast because Neville has been my favorite writer on these kind of topics for the last decade or so. And I think his work's important and worth, worth, you know, mulling over. So whatever you think about, you know, Bible verses, whatever you think about the way Neville speaks, I want to encourage you to just be open-minded enough to just give it a look and see what he's saying. You know, you you don't, you don't have to ever believe everything that you hear or read. (laughs) No, absolutely. And, and um, I mean, I can't speak for the people who are devoutly Christian. Their view is going to be considerably different from mine, but if you're like me and the group of people who get kind of turned off by it, I just skip those parts. I mean, I don't have to pay attention to those in order to read the good parts because there are good parts to this and they're really good. We were discovering that in the last episode in a really big way. So yeah, it's like you say, you take the parts that you want and you leave the rest behind. And I think that's true of just about anybody's work. You know, you've heard me say this about Abraham Hicks, that um, some people 
are turned off because the information is channeled. Oh, yeah. And some people are very attracted to it for that reason. Mm-hmm. Some people think that it's less credible because of that. And some people think it's more credible mm-hmm. because of that. Mm-hmm. For me, I don't really care one way or the other. If the information resonates with me and sounds good to me and like something I want to try or put into practice, I'll do it. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter to me. So same thing with this, you know, is I just want to say, give it, give it a listen. Good advice. So, I like it. So let's dig into it. So don't you love the, the chapter title of this chapter uh, three, Highways of the Inner Highways World? Highways of the Inner World, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that, that's almost a contradiction in terms, but it's a cool one. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So Neville starts out here with a scripture from Genesis, uh, and he goes on to talk about duality. So here's the scripture, and the children struggled within her, and the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. And the elder shall serve the younger. Now, if I know Neville, he's going to talk about the natures within us and that struggle. So let's see. Duality is an inherent condition of life. Everything that exists is double. Ooh, this sounds like Abraham, right? Does it? Two sides. Well, two sides to every coin. Abraham says everything's double. It's like a stick. There's the lack on one end. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Right? Okay. Duality is an inherent condition of life. Everything that exists is double. Man is a dual creature with contrary principles embedded in his nature. They war within him and present attitudes to life which are antagonistic. This conflict is the eternal enterprise, the war in heaven the never-ending struggle of the younger or inner man of imagination to assert his supremacy over the elder or outer man of sense. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm exhausted already. <laughs> I think this is interesting because where he says, you know, co- contrary principles embedded in man's nature, he's a dual creature, I think right away of contrast. Well, yeah, I mean, he's obviously describing contrast. The way he's doing it, though, is almost dramatic. And that's what I was re- reacting to when I said I, right. I'm exhausted by it. It's such a dramatic approach. The I mean, never-ending struggle. <laughs> oh, God, the struggle goes on forever. The war in heaven. Ah. Like, oh, geez, calm down. It's only choices between what you like and what you don't like. Relax. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is that as a coach, when I ask someone what they want, it's more often than not that there's a struggle going on. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes people know, like you ask them that question, what do you want? And boy, they can tell you in a, in a heartbeat and it is clear and they know exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not most of the time though. Mm-hmm. Most of the time there's a struggle between one thing and the other thing or the reasons why we have counter intentions and payoffs that keep us somewhere where we think we don't want to be right. Mm-hmm. Like we say we want to be successful in this area, but it doesn't happen because we're really worried that if we do become successful, it'll cost us something in another part of our life. So I see that struggle a lot with people that inner struggle. Now I've never said to someone that said they were struggling or conflicted over something that this is the war in the heaven. I have never said that. <laughs> That's probably not the best approach for a coach. No, but uh, I do know what you mean. And I think it's also another very, very common kind of struggle. And that is uh, you don't see it quite so much perhaps in your coaching practice, but you see it a lot on, on the social media boards where people very much want success in some area, 
but they don't actually want to do anything in that area. They just want the success to come. Um, mm. Give you an example. Somebody had recently posted how he or she, I can't remember which it was, had just completed a two-year course of some kind. Didn't specify what the course was, but this person had been visualizing and they had been doing affirmations and getting excited and all the stuff that you hear about that you should be doing. And then they failed the exam. And the oh. first the first thought that I went to my head was, well, did you learn the material? Did you know the material? <laughs> In other words, they wanted to have the result. They just didn't want to have to go through getting you know, getting the knowledge. They don't want to have to actually do the thing. They just want the result. <laughs> and I just thought, well, you know, wait a minute. Hold on here. That That's like creating a conflict for, I don't even know what purpose, but it's a conflict that says, I just want things handed to me. It's, it's like the story that Esther tells as Abraham about how Esther and Jerry took the river raft trip and what they could have done is they could have gone to the guide who you know was li- who was leading the trip and said, you know, instead of driving us all the way up river and getting into the river and riding down the river, couldn't you just go down, drive us down to the bottom where you're going to pick us up and just take us out about 200 yards so we can come in the last bit? And, <laughs> and the guy says, well, yeah, I could do that, but I thought you wanted to ride the river. Right. <laughs> so that's a good metaphor of, of us coming into this incarnation, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Very much it's like so. no, we we came here to experience all of this stuff, and and the conflict, and the struggle, uh, and the contrast are all part of what we are experiencing. And it's also how we decide we're going to experience them. I mean, we can choose to, to experience them as a war in heaven, as a ending struggle, and it's a dramatic thing, and it goes on and on. <laughs> or we can just do it a little more relaxed than that. But we, you know, either way, we're experiencing it. It's just which way do we want to go about doing it? Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to skip down to a part that that's um, because I lost my place, but I know where I want to go. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Man's inner body is as real in the world of subjective experience as his outer physical body is real in the world of external realities. But the inner body expresses a more fundamental part of reality. This exists. I, I, I got to stop there because, I okay. mean, I can just hear myself and perhaps other listeners boggling at what he's saying there because of the, the language is, is definitely old-fashioned language, and it's got some pretty important abstractions in there, in there. So let's see if we can break it up a little bit, okay, before we go on to the next part. All right. Would you prefer, um, if you were writing this sentence, would you say man's inner self? Because I know a moment ago you were talking about asking questions of your inner self. That works Uh, better for me. Yeah. So man's inner self is as real in the world of subjective experience as his outer physical body is real in the world of external realities. And and the the key, there's a couple key words in there. Subjective experience. Subjective mm -hmm. experience means experience as he is experiencing, not as anyone would experience it, but as he experiences it. Right. He's the subject. So the experience he's having. Okay. So man's, man's inner self is as real in the world of his experience. Yes. As his outer physical body is real in the world of external realities or his external experience. But the inner self expresses a more fundamental part of reality. Now it starts to make more sense to me. Okay. This existing 
inner body of man or our inner self must be consciously exercised and directed. <laughs> Therein lies the challenge right there. <laughs> right. The inner world of thought and feeling. Now, all of us can relate to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like when, because we talk about this a lot and Neville, you know, as much as I've read Neville, every time I read Neville, I see something I was like, wow, how did I miss that before? And <laughs> earlier in the chapter before, Neville was quoting Hermes. I was, was. like, what? Yeah. Like, because, you know, I, I am like totally in love with hermetic principles. And so I was, what? I was so surprised to see Neville <laughs> quoting Hermes. But what we're talking about here, when, when I'm working with someone one on one and there's a clear understanding of inner world and outer world, right? And Hermes says, uh, as above, so below, as within, so without, meaning mm-hmm. whatever's going on in your inner world is going to eventually be outpictured in your outer world. So just to make sure we're on board with on the same page here with what we mean when we say inner world and outer world, I mean, they, our inner world is our thoughts and our feelings. Yes. Right? The stuff we feel in our body and the stuff we're thinking about in our head and the stories that we tell in our, in, our inner mental chatter. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> All of that. That's inner world stuff. It is. And a lot of it is very private. Mm-hmm. It might be stuff that we can't even put into words sometimes. Oh, yeah. It's stuff that maybe we don't share with just everybody, uh, mm-hmm. especially if we're a, a more private person. Uh, and so that is our inner world, our thoughts and our feelings and our inner body, our inner self is attuned to that. And then there's the outer world. Well, what's that? Well, that's just everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Everything else in my experience that isn't in my head or a feeling in my body is outer stuff. Very true. And those two things are going to correlate in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's why I think this is so interesting where you said, now there's the challenge. Yes. <laughs> right. Is that bringing those two things where they're in alignment. Well, specifically, I was reacting to the, to the sentence that said this existing inner body of man or inner being or inner self yeah, must, must be, be consciously conscious. exercised and directed. And boy, is that the truth? Because when you first start exploring the law of attraction, or at least when I first started exploring the law of attraction, I came up against, okay, what's going on inside me? And it was a damn mess is what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Join the club. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Welcome to the club. And, and so this is why we talk about focus so much. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, Focus, you know, it is that we have to spend the time, just like that story you told about someone who, you know, saying they're using all these law of attraction tools, but they still failed the exam. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I have talked a lot about that magic and law of attraction and everything else. It, it doesn't work in theory. It works in practice. In practice. That's right. <laughs> and so we actually have to consciously exercise our inner body, which is our, our thoughts and our feelings. We have to get conscious and deliberate about how we focus those things and fine tune them because then we can create the correlation that happens on the outside. So the inner world of thought and feeling to which the inner body is attuned has its real structure and exists in its own higher space. That's an interesting concept right there. Right? Love it. 
So he goes on to say there are two kinds of movement, one that is according to the inner body and another that is according to the outer body. Okay, I'm going to read this whole paragraph, and then you know we're going to break it down somehow. We're going to have to. (laughs) Yeah. The movement which is according to the inner body is causal, but the outer movement is under compulsion. The inner movement determines the outer, which is joined to it, bringing into the outer a movement that is similar to the actions of the inner body. Inner movement is the force by which all events are brought to pass. Outer movement is subject to the compulsion applied to it by the movement of the inner body. Now, I know that sounds confusing. It sounds like legal text. The party to the first party, which will interact with the party to the second party, is like, what the <laughs> frick are you talking I wonder, about? <laughs> I wonder if Neville was a lawyer. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> and maybe that's why I understand him so well. <laughs> I have practice. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so what, and I want to, you know, this may mean something different to you. We need to talk about it. Um, he goes on to say, whenever the actions of the inner body match the actions, which the outer must take to appease desire, that desire will be realized. And the way I see this is exactly what we were talking about this morning, where it's, it's really, it's identity focused. In other words, if, if I had to change that, sentence whenever the actions of the inner body match the actions which the outer must take to appease desire that desire will be realized i would just say when my thoughts and my feelings are lining up with the action that i'm taking i mean it's in it's like inspired action we're talking about here yeah that that how, sounds how easier see? that way i i would agree with you i think that's that's a reasonable interpretation of it although i still want to go back to that previous paragraph because it has some terms in there that when we get to those terms, my head like did a flip-flop. Like, what on earth are they talking about? <laughs> I, I know. I'm thinking that I would love to edit it. But there are two kinds of movement. One that's according to the inner body and another that's according to the outer body. Let's just talk about that. Well, that's, that's where the two words are that I wanted to look at. So this is great. Okay, let's do that. Okay, go. So the first, <laughs> so the first part is, according to the inner body, is causal. Okay, I'm, I have a sense of what he might mean there, but it's like a little hypothesis that I've proven yet. So I'm kind of hanging on to it. It sounds to me what he's going to say is what we focus on and think about and feel about inside is what ends up causing what happens outside. I, I think that's where exactly. he's going with it. I mean, here's what I'm recognizing. When he talks about movement, because going back and taking this in context of the first and second chapters, where we're talking about I mean, the name of the book is Awakened Imagination. Mm-hmm. We have already established that we create everything with our imagination. So when Neville wanted to go to Barbados and he had no way to get there, and what he started doing was, in his mind, imagining himself already there. Mm-hmm. When he went to bed at night, he would imagine that he was actually falling asleep in the bedroom in his father's house in Barbados, right? I think that's inner movement. That's the movement that's according to the inner body or the higher self. I mean, those imaginations. And then the outer movement. So let me stay, let me stay with that thought for one second before you leave that. Um, If that is described as movement, what is it that's moving? Is it that, we are changing our internal scene and the scene moves because we changed it? Or is it that we are ourselves moving to the place where that other scene takes place? What's the movement part? 
Well, I think that emotions are energy in motion. That's a good emotions, definition. Emotions always move. So our feelings are energetic and they have a vibration. So maybe if we changed the word movement to vibration, that would make more sense um, to people that are already familiar with the law of attraction, according to maybe Abraham. I think I'd what even like to said, take it a step further and make it emotion instead of movement. That could be too. That could be too. But I think that if we're talking about motion or movement that's according to the inner body, I think that's what it's going to be. It's where am I going in my head? What story am I telling? What am I imagining? So in the second part of that sentence where he talks about the outer movement is under compulsion, the word compulsion stopped me in my tracks because I'm thinking, who's, compul- who's compelling who? Where, where's the, the, the compulsion coming from? Is well, he- it's interesting that the if we're talking about action, yeah. so let's look at it that way first. Okay. I mean, because that's kind of an easy way to understand it is if inner if the inner movement is just what's going on in our inner world. Mm-hmm. And then the outer, the outer world is what the actions we take on the, in the, in the outer world. Okay. Stuff that we do and the things that are happening around us. If that's the outer movement, it's under compulsion to the inner because the inner movement is causal. So the inner movement determines the outer, which is joined to it. So and if, we were, I think, if, if we were to translate this, then what we think about is what causes what we experience outside. Yes. And not only that, but we know that every decision that we make, every action that we take, every response that we have or reaction. So the things we do and the mm-hmm. things we say and the decisions we make, that decisions that we make are always, we always make those decisions based on emotion. Even though we often later, maybe one second later, determine the logic behind it. Yeah, we're we justifiers. Yeah. That it was a better idea, that well, I re- really was the best choice for me to make because X, Y, Z. Right. But we always make choices because of emotion. And it's so true. to me, that's the outer movement that's under compulsion to the inner. Our actions and decisions are based on emotion. So the inner part is really the emotional part. The outer part is the justification part? Well, or, or the actual things that we do, the things we decide. Okay. The actions we take. Like if, if I was going to make a note in my paper book, you know, my actual physical hard copy of the book, which I will because I write in all my books. Um, <laughs> oh, I no, will, you're one I'm, of those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't hold books to be precious. I, think I, we I guess not. No. Up, dog ear, whatever we have to do to get as much, squeeze as much knowledge as we can out of them. Um, In my book, I'm going to write that there, that all decisions based on emotion. Mm, Action yeah. I take is based on emotion. Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually kind of double layered, right? Because Very. we can say, well, the actions that I take are based on emotion. When you reached out to me almost a year ago and said, would you like to co-host this podcast? I knew I wanted to do it because I had already been putting out my desire to the universe that I wanted to do a podcast, mm, right? Yeah. So I was excited about it. I said yes, because it was a yes. It was a, definitely a yes. And you said it quickly, too. You didn't waste any time. Right. I knew I wanted to do it. But that's because my inner world was already wanting to do this. So they lined up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So the action that I took, 
The next sentence says, whatever the actions of the inner body match the actions which the outer must take to appease desire, the desire will be realized. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think we're talking about inspired action. It sounds like it. Yeah, finally. Now that we've got it dissected and redefined. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I really think that Neville sometimes is is a, a, a puzzle for the brain almost. Like I have to work at thinking at what he's saying, but it's always worth it. So he says construct mentally. And here we go. This is the instruction. Okay. Construct mentally a drama which implies that your desire is realized. A drama. Interesting choice of words. I know, right? I like that part. And make it one which involves movement of self. I, I really, really like this. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a second. Because okay. I told you, I, I, I use all of this. And right. Then, so I can bring up some actual examples that might help. Okay. Okay. But here is his, his actual, this is one of the first things I ever learned how to do. Uh, immobilize your outer physical self. I love that he says immobilize instead of just go sit in a chair and relax, but why immobilize? Why, why immobilize? What, what do you like about that? I just think it's funny. Oh, I like see. Some, okay. of his, some of his terms crack me up because they're not how I would say it, but I like it. It sounds like uh, something out of a science fiction movie. Immobilize. Boom. You get fired at by a right? or something. <laughs> Act precisely as though you were going to take a nap. And start the predetermined action in your imagination. Now, remember he talked about um, falling asleep? Mm-hmm. And the first time I read that, I thought it was when he told the story about wanting to go to Barbados. And so at night, he would act like he was falling asleep in his bed in Barbados. I didn't connect it that this is actually his method. Like, for almost anything is to, and it makes me also think of how many people that are very successful conscious creators use meditation. Mm. I mean, he's using meditation here. He's like, immobilize your outer physical self, act precisely as though you were going to take a nap and start the predetermined action in in imagination. A vivid representation of the action is the beginning of that action. And then as you're falling asleep, consciously imagine yourself into the scene. The length of the sleep is not important. A short nap is sufficient, but carrying the action into sleep thickens fancy into fact. Hmm. Now, I will say this. I am a terrible napper. <laughs> you I and know me that's both. a bad story. It's like an <laughs> I am story that's I know I'm just creating it over and over every time I say it. But I've never been good at napping. Like I'm, I'm a little envious of people. I know, I know one person that is an amazing uh, law of attraction person that just amazing her ability to manifest things. Mm-hmm. And she's a great napper. Uh-huh. And she'll say, when I get worried about something or I, something's not working out, I go take a nap. Mm-hmm. And then she gets up from her nap and everything works out. It's like, I get up from my nap and my head hurts. I feel groggy. You and me both. That's exactly <laughs> what my experience is. Yeah. I, I envy my wife because she loves naps. I mean, she she can hardly wait to take the next one, to be perfectly honest. And I'm thinking, i got to get through the day so I can get a good night's sleep. Because if I try to take a nap during the day, not only will I wake up from that nap feeling miserable, I won't go to sleep that night. So, again, like you're saying, right? setting myself up for it, right? I, yeah, I totally get it, though, because that's my experience, too. So, <laughs> but, so but I will say this. So I don't, I don't get a nap, but I meditate. I mean, to me, this exercise he's doing, I do this all the time, exactly like this. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I really want is 
an art studio mm. um, because I want to start making art again on a, a bigger scale than I'm doing now. Uh-huh. And so I'm, I have used this and this is just a new thing for me that I've just decided in the last week or so. And so oh. in my meditations, I constructed a scene where I'm showing one of my friends my studio. Okay. And, and in the studio, um, I'm touching my brushes, my paintbrushes. Mm-hmm. Right. So you see how he says, um, make it construct a mental, a drama, which implies your desires realized. And make it one which involves movement of self. So I'm actually walking in my imagination. And I'm not, this is important too. He talks about this too. I'm not meditating and watching a movie of myself walking over there in my studio. You're participating. I'm, I'm participating. Yes. I'm seeing it through my eyes as I walk in and I'm looking around and I'm showing my friend my new studio and I reach over and I, I rub my thumb across the top of the soft paint brushes that are there. And I, you know, so I'm using all my senses as I do this and I'm, and I'm looking at it as if it's already there, as if it's already come to pass. And one of the things I notice is how enjoyable it is. Hmm. Very, very enjoyable to recognize this already already being there and how wonderful it feels to be standing there and looking at all of the art supplies and touching my brushes. And I hear my friends. So, Oh, I'm so glad that you're making these big paintings again. I mean, really get into the imagination of it. And I can do that because it's so enjoyable. And I know that I'm creating it. Now what he started that paragraph with, really was, had one of those words that was like a stopper for me. Like earlier, um, it, it stopped my attention when he used the word compulsion. This time, the word that stopped me was drama. Mm-hmm. Construct mentally a drama. And you just described uh, a scene where you are a direct participant in the scene and, and, and you are engaging in everything that's going on in the scene. And I'm wondering, is that what he means by a drama? And the reason I yes. ask... The reason I ask is if you actually look up the word drama and we get some definitions. The first definition is pretty much what we would expect it to be, a play for theater, radio, or television. And an example in a sentence would be a gritty urban drama about growing up in Harlem. The second definition, and I think this may be where he's pointing at, is an exciting, emotional, or unexpected series of events or set of circumstances, such as a hostage drama. Now, (laughs) you're not trying to, to invent a hostage drama. But you are right. trying to create an exciting emotional series of events or circumstances. So I'm yeah, wondering, if that, mean, is that what well, it means, I wonder? Okay, so I, I will say this one thing is that, you know, words are so particular, right? Mm. We all, you and I have discussed different words and realized, boy, they really mean something different to me than to you, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And the same word. So the word drama here, and you said excitement. I think emotion might definitely be the key. Yes. Okay. Um, because I don't know how people define, you know, in their, in their own experience, the word excitement. Um, what if the thing you were trying to create, what if you were in a situation where things were really chaotic and what you really wanted was peace and you were looking forward to things being different in the future so that you could experience peace in your, you know, I'm making air quotes in your drama, right? Um, it might not be a, a drama that feels exciting. It might just feel 
like a big sense of relief and very peaceful. <laughs> well, so, I think it still fits that definition because of the third yeah, word the there. Emotion. Well, well, that's the, that, that's another one too, which is good, but it's the one that comes after that unexpected. I would mm. describe that as an unexpected result. Mm-hmm. You know, it is dramatic, but it's surprisingly peaceful. Like, Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Let's see what he says after that. He says a vivid representation of the action is the beginning of that action. And then as you're falling asleep, consciously imagine yourself into the scene. For me, like I said, it's not going to be sleep. Right. <laughs> it's then as you're relaxing into meditation, imagine yourself into this, into the scene. He goes on down here to say, at first your thoughts may be like rambling sheep that have no shepherd. <laughs> Don't despair. Should your attention stray 70 times 7, bring it back 70 times 7 to its predetermined course. See, doesn't that sound like meditation? It does, yeah. Uh, Bring it back to its predetermined course until from sheer exhaustion, it follows the appointed path. Oh, I no. love that. Yeah, he's been in my head. I can tell. He's been in my head. <laughs> Our thought is finally like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll picture the drama. Enough already. I'll do it. Yeah. The inner journey must never be without direction. That's a powerful statement. The inner journey must be with never be without direction. And there's another one of those words that kind of stops me. Direction. Does he mean like constantly directing or does he mean picking a direction and sticking to it? I don't know. Let's see. He says, when you take to the inner road, remember this, this section was called inner, inner highways, right? Right. When you take to the inner road, it is to do what you did mentally before you started. You go for the prize you've already seen and accepted. So maybe direction is the final result where you're trying to get yeah, to. Yeah, that's what I think. I think that's okay. where you're headed, right? Um, in the road to Xanadu, Professor John Livingston Lowe says, but I have long had the feeling, which this study had matured to a conviction, that fancy and imagination are not two powers at all, but one. The valid distinction which exists between them lies not in the materials with which they operate, but in the degree of intensity of the operant power itself, working at high tension, the imaginative energy assimilates and transmutes. Keyed low, the same energy aggregates and yokes together those images, which at its highest pitch merges indissolubly into one. Fancy assembles, imagination fuses. Now, I know that's kind of language we don't use much anymore, but no we were talking this morning about wishing. Mm-hmm. But the kind of wishing that never goes anywhere, mm. the kind of like, oh, look at that Jaguar going down the street. That's nice. I wish I had one of those. Right, right. And then I'll never think of it again. Yeah. I think that's fancy. Oh. Yeah, that makes right? sense. It's, it's, yeah. it's like it says, because it says here, working at high tension, the imaginative energy assimilates, but it says keyed low. I think that that low key is the wish. <laughs> but okay. when we fuse them together... And we say, oh, I'd like to have one of those. You know, I'd like to have a new art studio. <laughs> and instead of just saying it to you, oh, yeah, I'd love to paint. I wish I had an art studio. I'm going to I'm going to put it together with the imagination, with the imaginative energy and really start focusing my thought about it. That's when they're going to merge. And then we have the power to create. So here's a story. That, that's really good. Okay. Here's a practical application of this theory. A year ago, which 
do we know when this was written? 55? So, yeah, <laughs> so it's in the, let's say it's in the 50s. Yeah. Uh, so, here is a practical so, so a year ago, about 60 years ago. <laughs> yeah. A year ago, a blind girl living in the city of San Francisco found herself confronted with a transportation problem. A rerouting of buses forced her to make three transfers between her home and her office. This lengthened her trip from 15 minutes to two hours and 15 minutes. Mm. She thought seriously about this problem and came to the decision that a car was the solution. She knew that she could not drive a car, but felt that she could be driven in one. Putting this theory to the test that whenever the actions of the inner self correspond to the actions which the outer physical self must take to appease desire, that desire will be realized. She said to herself, I will sit here and imagine that I'm being driven to my office. Sitting in her living room, she began to imagine herself seated in a car. She felt the rhythm of the motor. She imagined that she smelled the odor of gasoline, felt the motion of the car, touched the sleeve of the driver, and felt that the driver was a man. She felt the car stop and, turning to her companion, said, Thank you very much, sir, to which he replied, The pleasure's all mine. Then she stepped from the car and heard the door snap shut as she closed it. She told me that she centered her imagination on being in a car, and although blind, viewed the city from her imaginary ride. She did not think of the ride. She thought from the ride and all that that implied. This controlled and subjectively directed purposeful, purposive, that's a weird word, ride, raised her imagination to its full potency. She kept her purpose ever before her, knowing there was cohesion and purpose in her movement, purposive in her movement. In these mental journeys, an emotional continuity must be sustained, the emotion of fulfilled desire. Expectancy and desire were so intensely joined that they passed at once from a mental state into a physical act. The inner self moves along the predetermined course best when the emotions collaborate. The inner self must be fired, and it must be best fired by the thought of great deeds and personal gain. We must take pleasure in our actions. On two successive days, the blind girl took her imaginary ride, giving it all the joy and sensory vividness of reality. A few hours after her second imaginary ride, a friend told her of a story in the evening paper. It was a story of a man who was interested in the blind. The blind girl phoned him and stated her problem. The very next day on his way home, he stopped in at a bar and while there, while there had the urge to tell the story of the blind girl to his friend, the proprietor. A total stranger, on hearing the story, volunteered to drive the blind girl home every day. The man who told the story then said, well, if you will take her home, I will take her to work. <laughs> this was over a year ago, and since that day, this blind girl has been driven to and from her office by these two gentlemen. Now, instead of spending two hours and 15 minutes on three buses, she's at her office in less than 15 minutes. And on that first ride to her office, she turned to her Good Samaritan and said, thank you very much, sir. And he replied, the pleasure is all mine. Of course he did. Yeah. Thus, the objects of her imagination were to her the realities of which the physical manifestation was only the witness. Wow. Very good. Very good story. Yeah. I like that. I, I love that story. And. Yeah. And I love the way we see that when she took these imaginary car rides, um, 
she brought in all of her senses mm -hmm. and she was blind. <laughs> yeah, well, it actually answers a question that I, I remember having early on after being exposed to the concept of the law of attraction, which was if you aren't good at visualizing, which I'm not, I actually have a, a condition often called aphantasia where I literally have trouble creating images in my mind. What do you do? Because so much of what they teach is about visualizing and I don't visualize well. What, where does that leave me? Well, didn't stop her at all. She just visualized with the senses that she did have. Well, and I hear people say that, um, that they don't, they they don't feel that they're good at, at visualizing. And so I know some people are really good at it. And some people say, I can't make an image in my mind. Like I don't see it when I'm trying to do that. Mm -hmm. And this, I think is the answer to that yeah. is, you know, she could smell the gasoline. Exactly. She touched the man, the, the sleeve of the driver. She felt the engine rumbling in the car. So she was really, she, and she was hearing, right? So she was really using the senses that she could see <laughs> mm -hmm. or hear or smell or whatever. And I think that's fantastic. I find so, too that when, when I try to do the same kind of thing with my own senses, my strongest senses are the ones that I do it with most easily. Like my best sense is my sense of hearing. Which mm -hmm. probably explains why I do a podcast. But uh, the right. point is, I mean, I can imagine how something hears very easily. I can imagine music. I can I can hear entire orchestrations in my head. So Me hearing, too. That's why I can't can. go to okay. sleep listening to music. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, true because it kind of goes around around some, your head, right? <laughs> yeah, just put on some soft music and I put the music on and I'm figuring out the thirds and the fifths. That's and right, yes. Yeah, right. harmony here and what, yeah. Oh. So you know exactly what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can be quite distracting. But I, it is something that we're both good at visualizing, so to speak, or audioizing if you want to. And uh, for me, the same thing is true with touch. I'm, I, I can vi visualize touch, if you will, fairly easily. I can imagine what that feels like to be touched or to touch something. And right. smell to a lesser extent, I can do that. Um, definitely sight is the least powerful for me. Smell is probably just a little bit more powerful than sight. So with that kind of a range and, and that kind of a ranking, I go for the auditory first and then I go for the touch second and I try to, to start with those two things and see what can I, what can I experience that way and then bring in the taste or the smell and, and then finally the vision. I think taste and smell are really, really easy for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, there's that idea that our sense of smell is somehow connected to memory. Oh yeah. Sense like memory is say definitely that, smell. That smells bring back memories mm -hmm. like and and I know I've had that experience on more than one occasion where I smelled something like a certain I don't know, a, a food or a perfume or something that I haven't smelled in like decades and it immediately just brought me back to a certain mm -hmm. well, when I was in fourth grade, my my best friend's family had a Meyer lemon tree. And a Meyer lemon is a cross, sort of a cross between a, a lemon and an orange. So mm -hmm. it's a little sweeter and it has a really distinct um, smell and taste. Mm -hmm. And I, I loved sour things anyway. So I used to just eat them off the tree <laughs> and I hadn't seen one. You know, I, you know, I grew up in California and now I'm here and I hadn't seen them or heard of a Meyer lemon in forever. Right. And when, when a certain grocery store moved in, they stocked them in the spring Ooh. or whenever they're. Yeah. And they had a big sign and I picked one up and smelled it. And I mean, it just brought me right back to the fourth grade in the garden, you know, so, so whatever your sense, you know, the ones that are easy for you, definitely use them when yeah. you're doing this kind of, uh, it does exercise. work. I, I always start with audio. And for me, audio is either music or conversation. And if I, if, if I can't think of any particular music that fits, I'll start with a conversation. I can always invent a conversation and hear that conversation. Mm hmm. 
So let's see how he goes here. The determinative animating principle. Wait, did we skip a sentence? Uh, Uh, I think we did. Yes. Okay, so he replied, the pleasure is all mine to her, and says, thus the objects of her imagination were to her the realities of which the physical manifestation was only the witness. Yeah, another awkward phrasing, but at least this one I can understand. (laughs) Yeah, the determinative animating principle was the imaginative ride. Her triumph could only be a surprise to those that didn't know of the inner ride. Mm -hmm. She mentally viewed the world from this imaginative ride with such a clearness of vision that every aspect of the city attained identity. These inner movements not only produce corresponding outer movements, this is the law which operates beneath all physical appearances. Can we go back to the previous paragraph? He he Mm -hmm. hit me with another stop word, the last word, city attained identity. And I'm trying to turn that into modern English. So she mentally viewed the world from this imaginative ride with such a clearness of vision that every aspect of the city attained identity. What does that mean to you? The city attained identity. I would say that it became real in her imagination. Okay. All right. I can go with that. That works. She could identify it. Yeah. It attained identity. Yeah. She, uh, it became real. She could, uh, she had such a clearness of vision that she could see every aspect. She could identify all the aspects. She was identifying the smell of the gasoline and the rumbling of the car and all of that. So, these inner movements not only produce corresponding outer movements, this is the law which operates beneath all physical appearances. He who practices these exercises of bilocation will develop unusual powers of concentration and quiescence. But and bilocation, now there's another one of those stop words, bilocation. <laughs> so by meaning two, so there's two locations. What are the two locations he's talking about? One is well, where her, I am right now her, and where I'm going to? I, yeah, I think our, our outer location is I'm parked in this chair. Mm-hmm. And I'm, my inner location is that I'm in Barbados. Oh, okay. So, so the by part means outer versus inner. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We'll, ine- we'll inevitably achieve waking consciousness on the inner and dimensionally larger world. So let's do the whole sentence again. He who practices these exercises of bilocation will develop unusual powers of concentration and quiescence or quietness and will inevitably achieve waking consciousness on the inner and dimensionally larger world. Another way of saying it becomes more real. You know, it's interesting. We always joke about it's all in our head. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Everything's in our head. I mean, literally everything we experience is actually, we're just experiencing in our head. And I always joke that we just don't realize how big it is in there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) True. Because everything's there. Um, and that's what this reminds me of when it says that if we practice this, and remember, practice is a key word here. He who practices, not he who tries this one time. Mm-hmm. He who practices these exercises uh, will inevitably achieve waking consciousness on the inner and dimensionally larger world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the moment that we talk about everything being uh, going on inside your head, I always go back to Harry Potter, to the uh, yeah the last book of the series where Harry meets up with Dumbledore in a in a dream state and converses with him about what's going on. And at the end, he says, "Professor, is this all real or is this all happening in my head?" And Dumbledore says, "Well, of course it's real, Harry. But why on earth should that mean that it's not happening in your head?" Right. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So I love this. Um, 
I know we're we're probably running out of time, so I don't want to keep reading and reading. But I we got to we got about five minutes left. We're okay. Well, not to me. We got about four minutes left. But go. <laughs> I want to kind of cap it off with this because actualizing strongly, she fulfilled her desire for viewing the city from the feeling of her wish fulfilled. She matched the state desired. And granted that to herself, which sleeping men ask of God. <laughs> to realize your desire, an action must start in your imagination. Apart from the evidence of the senses, involving movement of self and implying fulfillment of your desire, whenever it is the action which the outer self takes to appease desire, that desire will be realized. So the action that her outer self had to take was to get into a car. Mm-hmm. And once she connected these two things, the inner and outer, which starting that action in the imagination, uh, it happened. So when she, you said that she had to take the outer action, I'm trying to imagine the sequence. What's the time sequence here? Well, in other words, what would your outer action be? I mean, it's it's part of her desire. And so that's what she included in her inner movement. Okay. Got it. So this was the precursor to actually getting into the car. This was the imagining of the getting into the car. Yeah. The movement of every visible object is caused not by things outside the body, but by things within it, which operate from within outward. The journey is in yourself. You travel along the highways of the inner world. Without inner movement, it's impossible to bring forth anything. Inner action is introverted sensation. Oh, jeez. If you will construct mentally a drama which implies that you have realized your objective and then close your eyes and drop your thoughts inward, centering your imagination all the while in the predetermined action and partake in that action, you will become a self-determined being. So if you Interaction do, if you do orders this stuff, all things. So if you do this stuff that we've been talking about, visualizing intently and, and being a part of it and putting yourself into it, you gain control over your life is what he's saying. Yep. But okay. remember that we're not looking at, at it from a distance. Right. We're experiencing it from, from the place we want to be. We're That's participating. Yes. We're part of it. Yep. Yep. That's good. That's good. So interactions order all things according to the nature of itself. Now, you know, I'm actually getting used to his phrasing. That actually starts to make sense to me. <laughs> it does happen. All of a sudden you realize you read a whole chapter and you never questioned anything. <laughs> That's when you know you're crazy. No, I'm kidding. Really. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, this is good, though. This is good. We should continue this, definitely. Because um, this is, what, like eight chapters or something like that? We're, we're on yeah, chapter three? Yeah, it's not three. that long. We could probably cover it in six months. Yeah, in six I'm months. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not six months. <laughs> I'm teasing. We really can stretch a book when we want to, but it's we're always good. good it. So. Yeah, well, let's, I think it's let's keep going. Let, let's do the other the other five chapters and, and just do it over the next few episodes that you and I do together. I think it's a good idea. That'd be great. All right. That'd be great. And, uh, well, that's it for you and me this week, but I'm looking forward to continuing this with you next week. I'll be back next week. I'll be back as well. We hope that you'll join us every time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everyone.